Okay, so this morning we are starting a new study. There should be some handouts still on the back table. If you didn't get one, you can, you can grab a handout. We're going to be looking through the book of Proverbs, and this will take us through the end of the year. And uh, we won't be going verse by verse through this book, because we certainly wouldn't finish it uh, by the end of the year. But we will be covering quite a bit of ground. And I have there for you on your note sheet, um, on the back side of that, a syllabus for the class, so you can kind of see where we're headed uh, week by week. We'll talk about this a little bit more about the structure of Proverbs and why we have those first nine chapters looking extensively at that, and then some topical um, issues that are dealt with um, in Proverbs as well that are uh, pertinent to every one of us, no matter the stage of life that we are in. Um, So I wanted to begin just by kind of laying the land here of where Proverbs falls in biblical literature, and I don't know how well you can see that if you can at all, but um, it's been helpful to kind of break up uh, the scripture into the different genres that we see uh, within it. And so I'll just kind of walk through uh, that top section there in orange. You have law, that would cover the first five books, Pentateuch, history, okay, a lot of that in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament. Acts would be under that category. Uh, wisdom and poetry. So this is where Proverbs lands in the wisdom uh, section. You have prophecy. See that in the Old Testament, Proverbs, New Testament, Revelation. You have gospel genre with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then the letters. Okay, Quite a, quite a few of those. So just kind of laying the land there. And uh, where Proverbs falls within what we call the genres or categories of literature in the Bible. Um, It's been helpful to kind of to see those. And something that's important about these is we want to be sure to understand that these are not airtight categories. In other words, that if you see it in this section, you won't see it in any other other section. Uh, You see Proverbs throughout the scriptures um, in, in, in sections that have been historically called history or in the Gospels or in the letters. Um, So we want to be sure that we understand that if you see it in one category, it doesn't mean you're not going to see it elsewhere. It's just helpful to say generally this is where it fits. So again, Proverbs is there in that subset of wisdom literature. And uh, hopefully that'll be helpful. And that's that's very helpful as we think about... um, how we interpret Proverbs, very important when, when we're thinking through the interpretation uh, of, this, of this book. So wisdom literature is really a broad genre in which the sayings and reflections of the wise are recorded. And Robert Plumer, in his book, 40 Questions About Interpreting the Bible, in his section on Proverbs, that's some really helpful things to say that I want to I mention here. Um, But as you can see from this slide, some of that wisdom literature can take the form of debate or argument, and you see that in the book of Job, for example, as you read through Job, kind of have that back and forth going on. Uh, We also see another section in wisdom literature where you have more of a poetical self-reflection and lament. Uh, Ecclesiastes would fit under that category. And then... In Proverbs, you have, for the most part, these pithy observations of how life normally works and the direction that we should, we should head. So 
as we think about the structure of this book with 31 chapters, the latter two-thirds of the book, chapters 10 through 31, are made up of those brief sayings that we would readily recognize as Proverbs in English. Um, the first nine chapters, however, consist mainly of these longer discourses. Um, and, and you see it really in the format of a father giving advice to his son or, or sons. And also, you have Lady Wisdom personified, and she's calling out to the persons who are, who are passing by. Um, so I wanted to show you that. If you have your Bibles there and you have your Bible open to Proverbs, uh, just an example of this. I don't think I have it in here. Yep. Proverbs 1, uh, 8, which is where Will's going to pick up next week. Proverbs 1, 8, it says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. As you work through those first nine chapters in Proverbs, you're going to see that refrain come up over and over again. Okay, so that's one aspect of it. And then also you see this lady wisdom who is personified here. And if you go down a little bit in chapter 1, looking at verses 20 through 22, chapter 1, verses 20 through 22, it says, wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Okay, so there you have Lady Wisdom personified. So those are the two main ways you see kind of chapters uh, one through nine running here. And that's important to, to kind of keep in mind there. Uh, Tremper Longman, in his commentary, says this, Chapters 1 through 9 serve as an introduction, even a kind of hermeneutical prism. Hermeneutics, how to rightly interpret the Word of God. Even a kind of hermeneutical prism through which we should read the rest of the book. Somebody's getting an amber. Okay. Let me start over on that. Chapters 1 through 9 serve as an introduction, even a kind of hermeneutical prism, through which we should read the rest of the book. The first part of the book requires a decision of the young men who represent the reader. With whom will one dine? With wisdom or with folly? This calls for a religious decision, a decision between the true God and false gods. So I thought that was a good summation that Longman gives there as he's looking at Proverbs. Now, all languages and cultures have Proverbs, uh, which, again, just that wise advice in these short, memorable expressions. Uh, for example, you may know this one, a stitch in time saves nine. Okay, And what's being said there is if you see a cloth beginning to tear, and you stop to repair it now, it's going to pre prevent you from having to make a much larger repair later on. All right? So that's a, just a short, pithy saying. It's memorable. That's what Proverbs are, very short, so that they stay with you. Uh, this proverb, while it uses the language of needlework here, it, it applies to any situation in which a little forethought and intervention will prevent a larger cleanup later on. Right? 
Maybe you've experienced this. If you're driving your car and that little light comes on on the dashboard and you're like, ah, whatever, right? And you fail to take care of it then and you realize about you know, three months later that you should have taken care of that little light when it, when it came on. Or maybe home repairs, right? I'm famous for that. I look around and I'm just, oh, I'll get to that later. And then it needs much more attention uh, later on. Uh, even, even human relationship issues, right? Right? There's a little bit of strife going on there. I should address that now. There's a little bit of bitterness. You don't take care of it, and boom. Then there's a big bush growing in your heart of, of bitterness because you didn't, you didn't deal with it. Um, so even though the Proverbs deal with specific things, it has applicability throughout all of life. Also, one of the things that we recognize is that the proverb, and this is so important when you're thinking about Proverbs, The proverb is not a fail-proof promise. It describes the way things normally work. Okay, That's that's something that's very important to understand when you come to proverbs. For example, you may put a stitch in that little piece of fabric when you see that tear starting, but it may be very poorly made fabric, and it doesn't matter (laughs) what what you do to it. It's just going to continue to rip. But even with those exceptions, however, the proverb, it doesn't mean that the proverb is false. It describes the way things normally work. And that goes to your outline there, the first point on your outline there. Most proverbs are general truths that assume exceptions. Okay, Most proverbs are general truths that assume exceptions. So that's something that you really want to make sure that, that you keep in mind as we think about, think about Proverbs. Now, how are biblical Proverbs different from any other Proverbs? Like I mentioned, all cultures have Proverbs in some form, and you've probably heard different uh, Proverbs from different cultures. Well, to begin with, the Proverbs in the Bible are divinely inspired. Okay, so that sets them apart immediately. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So we have these words given to us by God. So therefore, these Proverbs transcend all other Proverbs. And because they are the word of God, these Proverbs will approve what God approves and they will condemn what God condemns. On top of that, they're going to be free from error. So again, that's a, a distinction between them and other Proverbs. But there's also a similarity between biblical Proverbs and other Proverbs that other cultures have used. Again, both generally assume exceptions. Um, Such exceptions are inherent to the nature of wise sayings about the way life normally works. For example, if you look at Proverbs 10, verse 4, take a look at that with me real quick. If I can have somebody read that. Okay, so this is generally true, right? If you're lazy, after a while, you're going to be poor, okay? Another example of that is in Proverbs 6. Backtrack with me a little bit. Proverbs 6, verses 10 and 11. Somebody wants to read, read that? Proverbs 6, verses 10 and 11. Poverty will 
Okay, good. So again, you just see that aspect of laziness and what it normally produces. Um, but on the other hand, those who work diligently will gradually acquire wealth, right? That's the way things normally normally work. But there are situations with these extenuating circumstances when this general truth does not prove true. Uh, for example, some children are born into such immensely rich families that they're able to live lazily and luxuriously their entire lives and still be wealthy. And they still, they're wealthy their, their whole lives and they've done absolutely nothing um, but be lazy. On the other hand, there are people who work extremely hard all, all their lives and yet they're denied the fruit of their labor. Um, as a matter of fact, you have a proverb in Proverbs thirteen twenty-three. You want to look there with me. The ESV reads and says this, The fallow ground of the poor would yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. Right? So there's a nice harvest that's come up for the poor man getting ready to take advantage of it, and injustice comes and sweeps it away. Right? Uh, the powerful people come in and they take that, that harvest away. And this poor man labored in his field and he didn't get to reap the benefits of what he had sown. So the fact that some biblical proverbs on, on first glance conflict with each other reminds us that proverbs are situational or occasional. Um, each proverb addresses a certain occasion as we normally encounter it, uh, but it doesn't intend to describe all exceptions. Um, if all such exceptions were listed, then the resulting proverb would be far from short or memorable, right? And, and that's the point of, of proverbs, is they are to stick with you. So here's an example of two side-by-side -side biblical proverbs that seem on the face value to, to conflict. Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5 says, verse 4 says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. And then verse 5, right after that, says, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Right? So there's two different things. Wait, am I to answer it or not answer it? Um, what, how, what am I supposed to do here? we must realize the circumstantial nature of Proverbs to affirm the truth of both of those sayings. Uh, depending on the receptivity of the fool, one of these rebukes will apply to any fool's folly. In other words, if a fool is recklessly unwilling to listen or to uh, receive the input of others, well then you yourself kind of don the fool's cap when you try to reason with him. That, that would be what verse 4 is saying, right? You jump in, you got somebody who's stubborn of heart, they don't want to listen to anything, you join them in their folly because you're trying to reason with somebody that is unreasonable. On the other hand, there are situations where calling out a person's foolish actions will actually prevent him from moving on in a, a destructive way, a destructive self-deception, which is what verse 5 refers to there somebody that's willing to receive that instruction. So wisdom about the situation is needed to know how each proverb applies. Uh, Trimper Longman again talks about these two uh, verses, and he says this, This proverb pair is prime evidence leading toward the proper understanding of the proverb genre. Proverbs are not universally true laws, but circumstantially relevant principles. 
In short, the answer depends on the nature of the fool with whom one is engaged in conversation. In other words, the wise person must assess whether this is a fool who will simply drain one's energy with no positive results, or whether an answer will prove fruitful to the fool or perhaps to those who overhear. The wise not only know the proverb, but also can read the circumstances and the people with whom they dialogue. Uh, I think that's really helpful, that, that how Longman gives that out. So it takes wisdom uh, to, think, to think through that. Okay, an important question to consider here, again, is the function of Proverbs. Um, and actually, one of the Proverbs that we have is really helpful uh, for us when we think about the function of it. Proverbs 26.7 says this, Like a lame man's legs, which hang useless, is a proverb in the mouth of fools. In other words, simply knowing or reciting a proverb is useless if it does not produce change in a person's life. You can memorize the whole book of Proverbs and still be a fool, right? Because you're not applying the things that you hear. It's much like what James talks about, which James reaches back into the Proverbs quite a bit, actually. When he kind of sums that up by talking about, you know, only hearing the word but not acting upon what one is hearing, right? So Proverbs call us to action. They call us to respond to God in faith and obedience, okay? So that's one aspect of it. The second point there on your note sheet is some Proverbs, however, have no exceptions, okay? They have no exceptions. In other words, they're universally true. And in attempting to kind of correct the common misunderstanding of Proverbs as promises, interpreters have sometimes missed the fact that some biblical Proverbs are always true. Uh, So even though most of them have exceptions, some of them are always true. Some Proverbs are essentially promises, and these are the Proverbs that deal with the nature of God. Um, Insofar as a proverb describes a quality about God, for example, like his holiness or his knowledge, whatever the case may be, that proverb is true without exception because we know that God is immutable. He's unchangeable. Okay? So there's no question in that. Uh, For example, in Proverbs 11.1, if you want to look at that, it's a good good example. Proverbs 11.1 says, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Okay, because God is righteous, he always abhors cheating, dishonesty in business, things of that nature. And then another one that would be without exception is in Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19, if somebody wants to read that for us. Through 19. Okay, good. So God doesn't sometimes hate those things and at other times not hate those things. As, as a completely holy God, he always hates these, these things. Okay, so again, wisdom has to be used as we come to the book of Proverbs. Uh, a general rule that's good as well is 
where you see something in Proverbs, does the rest of the scripture bear that out? In other words, can you look in other places in scripture and say, okay, I know that this, what has just been said in here in Proverbs is always true because I see it in other places in scripture that it's always, always true. So the majority of them are going to have those exceptions, but that's, uh, again, not a hard and fast rule uh, that we are, to, we are to hold to, okay? So as we think about kind of this introduction, one of the things that obviously we want to keep at the forefront of our thinking is that in Proverbs, we have wisdom from God. But we recognize that Proverbs, in and of itself, points past itself, ultimately. As all of Scripture does. And all of Scripture points to the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you look with me at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 24. If I can have somebody read that for us, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 24. Okay, so verse 24 there specifically, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ is the perfect and full wisdom of God. As Paul was inspired to say also in Colossians 2.3, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So that's something that we want to keep in mind as we study through the book of Proverbs. Uh, We want to remember who ultimately is being spoken of here, who the wise one truly is, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. And through us being in him, we have the power to act wisely uh, by his spirit. So as we look at this, almost uh, as we look at Proverbs, almost all of these were written by Solomon. Uh, let's keep in mind what Jesus said in Matthew twelve forty two. He said this, the queen of the south came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Uh, How profound that would have been upon the first hearing of that. So with that introduction now, I want to go ahead and actually move into Proverbs. And this morning, we're going to be looking at Proverbs 1 verses 1 through 7. This is the introduction into the book. 
In verse 1 here, you have the superscription, which tells us what the book is about and who the author is. And verse 1 says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Now, you may remember, shortly after Solomon was anointed as Israel's king, following his father David, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and he, he said to him, What shall I give you? Um, and because of his position as king of Israel, Solomon didn't ask for riches or honor, uh, but he asked for an understanding mind that he might rightly govern the people of God. And God granted that to him. And God said this to Solomon, Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. And so what we have in these Proverbs is the result of God giving Solomon a wise and discerning mind. Okay, so we recognize Proverbs is an answer to Solomon's request. It's God's answer to Solomon's request. That's one way to look at it. And then after the superscription here, verses 2 through 6 really function as what we would call the purpose statement of the rest of the book of Proverbs. I want to go ahead and read that with you, and I'm reading out of the ESV here. Verses 2 through 6 say, To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. So this this paragraph here, this purpose statement for the book, is, is really intended to kind of whet our appetite for the rest of the book, right? As you, as you read through those, those verses here, I hope it excites you that what you're about to walk into is the wisdom that God has given. And so how that should affect us is it should put us in a state of humility, right? Just bow before. I want to just listen attentively to what I'm about to hear, what God is about to say here. You have these great words of learning that are piled up one on top of the other and to really help the reader understand the wealth of information that is to come, that is to, to follow here. Um, to use words that are synonymous in repetition like this is very common in Hebrew literature. It, it intends to expand, reinforce, and enrich the meaning of a, a concept. It is there a cumulative force that really conveys here the teacher's intention more than the precise nuance of each term, though each word does add something to our understanding of wisdom. And I do want to kind of look at those words that are used here in verses 2 through 6. So you can jot these down on your notes. I've left you ample uh, room there to, to write some things down. So begin with, beginning here with verse 2, start working through these words that we see in this section. We're not going to look through every word, but just want to pull out a couple things. Um, and this introductory lesson into Proverbs, it's going to be much more technical than the rest of our lessons because we, we want to understand that the words that we're coming into contact here with in verses 2 through 6 are going to show up throughout the rest of the book. So to have a good understanding of what these words mean are going to help us as we, as we go through the, the study here. Uh, so you have there in verse 2, it says, to know wisdom. 
And that word know there means to be conscious of something, to become aware of something, uh, to observe something. In this context, it is to know wisdom and instruction. That is, it's to become aware of, become conscious of the wisdom and instruction that we will see throughout Proverbs. Okay, so that's why this is considered a purpose statement, because it's kind of laying out for us. Here's the purpose of Proverbs. To give you, to know, wisdom and instruction. Now, the word wisdom here means generally masterful understanding, or skill, or expertise. Um, in biblical texts where you see it outside of Proverbs, it's used to describe things like technical and artistic skills. Uh, for example, we see this word being used in Exodus 28.3 and also in Exodus 31.6. And it's used to describe those whom the Lord had equipped to make priestly garments and the material used to construct the tabernacle. So it's this masterful understanding that manifests itself in application. Okay, So you, you've got the knowledge there. The Lord has given you the wisdom and now it manifests itself in how you act. Okay, What comes out of you there? Again, one could memorize the whole book of Proverbs and still not be considered wise because again, the understanding and internalization that is obtained from the book, it must lead to action. It must lead to action. That wisdom is applying what you know to the various situations of life. That's what Proverbs offers to us. And really, this word wisdom here entails all the other virtues that are listed in this section. It really is the umbrella under which all these other words that are used by the writer reside. Okay? Next, you see that word instruction. And that word refers to a chastening lesson. A chastening lesson. It is to admonish, it is to correct, and it always presupposes an educational purpose. And that's important to understand. It always presupposes an educational purpose. It has wrapped up within it this idea of shaping the character of the one who is being spoken to. Uh, the meaning itself shows us that the one who is hearing the instruction must be humble and ready to receive in order to subdue the innate waywardness that is in each of us. Um, and and that, that's really important, right? When you come to the book of Proverbs, the reason that you humble yourself, hopefully, is because you recognize here there's a wisdom that I need that is outside of myself, right? If you come with a stubborn heart and I got life figured out, Proverbs actually has something to say about you <laughs> uh, in, that, in that regard. Right? So we want to come with that humble disposition. I need to be instructed. I need to be taught. I need to learn what is being said here. Uh, we see a good example of both the danger and the benefit of instruction in Proverbs 15, verses 32 and 33. Here's that word instruction. Whoever ignores instruction, notice this, despises himself. Not an amazing way to... Just say it. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself. Why? Because the, wis the, the wisdom that is here in the book of Proverbs is intended to help you, to instruct you, to guide you into a way that's profitable for you. So to 
turn away from it. The one who despises that or ignores that instruction despises himself. But he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. Isn't that great? The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom and humility comes before honor. Right? So there's that tendency in every one of us when we're corrected, our flesh wants to rise up against it, doesn't it? Right? Who are you to correct me? Right? That, that, that's what our flesh seeks to do. So we just got to pray diligently as we come to the Word of God, Proverbs or any other portion of God's Word, that we come with a spirit of humility to hear from the one who has made us. Um, so this instruction that Proverbs offers um, is certainly given to us through the words that God has given to us. But it's interesting how the writer of Proverbs offer, also shows us that it's through observation and reflection upon what one has observed that there are lessons to be learned. And a really good example of this, look with me at Proverbs 24, verses 30 through 34. So that, again, that instruction is both verbal and it's also attained through what one sees and reflects upon. Proverbs 24. And look with me at verses 30 through 34. Okay, Proverbs 24, verses 30 through 34. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it, right? So you see, you see this observation, walking by, looks at this field, sees these things, observes those, reflects upon them. Watch what he says here. He says, I looked and received instruction, <laughs> right? So it wasn't verbal. Nobody was saying anything. He's just looking at something and he's receiving instruction through what he is taking in through his eyes. And here's his conclusion to it. A little sleep. A little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So again, that, that instruction that is given is both verbal and it's observed throughout life. And I think we can all attest to that, right? We've, sometimes we've seen things, nobody's said anything, but we're just observing something and we're thinking, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> that's, that's unwise. I'm, I'm being instructed by those actions without anybody saying anything to me, okay? All right, back, back to Proverbs 1 here. Keep working through this list of words. The last phrase here in verse 2 says, to understand words of insight. That's why Proverbs is given to us, to help us understand words of insight. And this understanding can be defined as the ability to look to the heart of an issue and to discern the differences at stake in the choices being weighed. That was from David Hubbard in his commentary. I'll read that again. Hubbard says this, understanding, as it's referred to here in Proverbs, is the ability to look to the heart of an issue and to discern the differences at stake in the choices being weighed. So again, there's this thoughtful consideration that comes with Proverbs. And that's vitally important because, again, it's one thing to hear the words of God, it's another thing to understand what is being heard. It does not profit us to just hear the word of God. That's necessary, but we must think about what it is that we are hearing. 
that our hearts might be informed, that we might internalize those things. We see an example of this in Isaiah 6, verse 9, which Jesus actually quotes in a couple places in the Gospels. It says this, And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Right? So there's this continual, we've got to be careful not to deceive ourselves to think that hearing is the only thing that is to happen. That's necessary. It must be there. We've got to hear the word of God proclaimed, but we must think upon what it is that we're hearing, internalize it, and act accordingly to it through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Proverbs are given to help us internalize what we hear and then discern choices that are laid out before us and to make choices that honor the Lord. So moving on now to to verse 3. We see the word instruction used again, this time coupled with the phrase, the ESV translates it, wise dealing. I think the NAS may say wise behavior, but it says to receive instruction in wise dealing or or wise behavior. And again, this wise dealing here is referring referring to the application of the wisdom that one has obtained, which will then lead to the things that are mentioned after this, to righteousness, justice, and equity within the community of the saints. Okay, So we hear those things, we receive that instruction, and the manifestation of it is righteousness, justice, and equity. And again, that's a good point for us to remember, is that in order to understand what is righteous, what is just, what is equitable, we must humble ourselves and hear what the Word of God has to say. We have to receive instruction in order to know those things. Those things don't come innately within us, right? We're prone to go astray by nature. As Proverbs 14, 12 tells us, there's a way that seems right to a man, but what happens? It leads to death, right? So, hey, just my natural mind, that seems right, wrong, right? That's what the Proverbs say. So we've got to humble ourselves and hear what God has to tell us. Now, as we move into verses 4 and 5, we have somewhat of a transition as we see the target audience for Proverbs, which is everyone. (laughs) Everyone, right? Categorized as those who lack wisdom and for those who have gained wisdom. So first in verse 4, the Proverbs are for giving prudence to the simple. Okay? And that word prudence here refers to cleverness. Uh, the ability to think about and assess a situation before acting upon it. This is actually the same word that's used very negatively in Genesis 3.1 to refer to the cunning nature of the serpent. Okay? It gives prudence to the simple. It gives wisdom to the simple. That's what Proverbs does. And that word simple there means naive, gullible, foolish, those who are easily led astray. Anybody fit into those categories? Right? I think we can all testify uh, to that. So it helps this type of person to think rightly about life. Okay? It comes to us, and now my mind is no longer naive, right? It's no longer ignorant. And that, that ignorance there isn't necessarily saying that's um, 
That's a wrong thing. It's just something that you haven't been taught yet, right? With a child, a child is ignorant about the ways of life. It's not necessarily a failure on their part yet, but you have to bring that knowledge to instruct them and help them to think about how they should live in a way that is honoring to the Lord, okay? So that's one aspect of it, to give prudence to the simple. Uh, Knowledge, it says next, and you can see down in verse 7 as well, it's often associated with the fear of the Lord, and so this knowledge here refers to knowing and doing that which God requires, okay? Knowing or doing that which God requires. I need to gain knowledge so that I can live a life that is pleasing to the Lord, okay? So it says knowledge and then discretion. That word discretion means prudent or wise planning. Prudent or wise planning. Okay. And again, the target audience in, in this section is the youth. Notice it says to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. And youth in Israel's time referred to those from in infancy, really all the way up until about 30 years of age, where it's expected that some maturity would begin to take place. Now, that doesn't mean that if you're over 30, you can disregard some of what Proverbs is saying, right? We're, we're all, in some way, naive, gullible, foolish, easily led astray in various areas of life, right? So we just need to humble ourselves to all that, that Proverbs is saying. But again, with this purpose statement, uh, the writer is trying to really get across here the reality that it's, it's for all people because he goes on here in verse 5 and he says this, let the wise hear and increase in learning. Right? So it's not let the wise get a pass on Proverbs. You got it all figured out already. No, right? You, you, you can increase in the learning that you've already gained. You can gain understanding, greater understanding than you currently have. There's more wisdom that the wise need to obtain, need to gain. And so verse 5 really fills out the rest of humanity. Hopefully in your life as a believer, you've seen areas where you've grown in wisdom, right? You you make better choices in certain areas. Um, You're not easily led astray on this particular issue or that particular issue, whatever the case may be. But we still need to humble ourselves and gain further insight to what the Lord is saying to us. And so, verses 5 and 6 really lay that out here. Now, this word learning here in verse 5 embraces comprehension of truth well enough to teach it and the ability to teach and persuade others, right? Because there's a a successive nature to Proverbs, right? As you see in Deuteronomy 6, right? That once you gain that knowledge, teach it to your children, right? And that they also may be able to teach it to their children, right? So you're you are young, you're being instructed, you're gaining wisdom, you've, you're, you're moving up in your wisdom that the Lord is giving to you, and now you're pouring it back into the next generation as they move up. And then hopefully they're going to pour it back into the generation that's behind them, and it's just going to be the successive nature of a righteous, uh, righteous living uh, throughout the generations that the Lord gives to us. So that's, that's what that learning, that word learning means there. Embraces comprehension of truth well enough to teach it, and the ability to teach and persuade others. 
So wherever we, we find ourselves in life, the Proverbs are always going to be profitable, right? And either instructing you about something for the first time or in reminding and growing you in truths that you've already learned, okay? So there's benefit to all the Proverbs, no matter where you're at in your life. And then finally, with this introductory section, it concludes here with verse 7. This is really the motto and the theme of the whole book. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is that reverential awe that God deserves as his children. We come to him as our loving father and we humble ourselves. We sit at his feet and we say, teach us, father. We're here to learn from you. Guide and direct us. We're easily led astray. We we see ourselves in Proverbs. We're prone to wander. Again, it's that position of humility that we're ready to take in order to be positioned to hear the wisdom of of the Almighty. And, And from that position... We're enabled to hear, receive, and respond to the knowledge that will come to us in this inspired book. The fear of the Lord is therefore essential in benefiting from the wisdom that is laid before us. Commentator Bruce Walke says this about the fear of the Lord. What the alphabet is to reading, what notes are to reading music, what numerals are to mathematics, the fear of the Lord is to attaining the revealed knowledge of this book. Okay? But on the back side of that, it says, the fool is the one who despises. That word despise means to count as worthless and vile the wisdom of the Lord. Okay? The fool does not want to hear the truth of God's word. He has a disdain for it. And the reason for that, it's rooted in pride, because in his pride, he thinks he knows better than God does. Right? That's, that's the issue. So as we launch into this study together, we just got to pray that God would hu- give us humble hearts that come to this study with a great eagerness to hear and learn how to live wisely, how to live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of our great God who has loved us and has made us his own. Amen? Amen. All right, let's, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word, and I, I hope that we're excited to come into this study as we've heard this purpose statement uh, laid out, Lord. We realize the richness that is in the word of God. Uh, I hope our hearts are reminded of that reality, Lord. And so I pray that you would just give us humble hearts as we should have every time we hear the word of God, that we would just come and we would sit as children of our loving Father who desperately need to be instructed and guided. Father, we confess that we go astray so easily, and so we need your word to guide and direct us. So grant us that spirit, and where we come into areas in your word, Lord, that confront our sinful pride, 
we ask in advance that you would humble us, that we would not be prideful. Lord, we know all of us at one level or another battle with pride. And so we ask that you would please grant us humble spirits. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.